Good afternoon, evening, night, whenever the hell it is you're listening to this. I am your host, Renny Rico. Thanks for joining us once again on another episode of The Sentiment. Alright, alright. Welcome back, or welcome if you're brand new to the show. This is The Sentiment, the show with a pretty name about opinions on the movie and TV industry. As I already mentioned, I'm your host, Rennie Rico. As always, a special shout-out to Jay and Link on the main pod, Tales from the Abyss. They're doing big things every week, so don't forget to check them out. Today is Sunday, February 26th. I have been a little under the weather most of the week, uh, so I'm recording this a little later than normal. But I am excited for today's episode because I'm doing things a little different. We're going to be taking a deep dive into one of the most iconic horror movies of the 90s. That's right, guys. If you haven't figured it out by the guest in our brand new intro, we'll be talking Wes Craven's Scream. Now, now, it is no coincidence that this is the first movie I've decided to take a deep dive into. In two weeks, the newest sequel, Scream 6, will be released. It's being directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett. They did direct the last one, simply titled Scream or Scream 5, if you're keeping track. And that did serve as a so-called requel. If you're not familiar with what a requel is, they do describe it in the newest Scream. But for clarity's sake, uh, it's just essentially a trend in the movie industry where they take pretty much legacy classics of uh, movies that have a huge following and instead of rebooting the complete uh, saga or the complete series they decide to make a remake slash sequel hence the name and they kind of bring in new characters while also paying homage to the original characters and they blend the storyline and kind of create a new path going forward and hopefully that gains some attention and also uh, some good reviews and gets people to get in the seat so they can continue that series that people love. In my opinion, Scream 5 was a serviceable new addition to the franchise. It did serve as a dedication to the late Wes Craven. He passed in 2015, unfortunately. R.I.P. to the Sultan of Shock. And you know, if this movie's not, as far as the original, if this movie's not in my top 5, it's definitely top 10. Uh, It was released in 1996. This movie changed the game, essentially, for horror movies. Uh, It did become, uh, I would say even overnight, a cultural and cult phenomenon. It was a massive success at the box office. Uh, It grossed $173 million, and it spawned four sequels and, unfortunately, a pretty shitty TV series on MTV, which, from this point forward, we're going to deny its existence. Um... But even though I was a barely a teenager when it was first released, I do finally remember seeing this in theaters, and I was obsessed with the original, uh, pretty much all of its follow-ups, you know, and then all of the movies that were spawned just off of the uh, the trend and everything that it created, just from being a cultural phenomenon that it was. You know, it was a great time for horror in those years following. Uh, you know, and of course, Ghostface was. <laughs> 
an instant Hikon. I do recall remembering dressing up as him for a couple Halloweens in a row. And uh, pretty much this slasher single-handedly made the genre fun again. You know, one of the most unique aspects of Scream uh, was how it subverted the traditional horror tropes and blend genres. Uh, it made it not only scary, but also funny and self-referential. So with that in mind, I figured in this episode we'd do a little exploring of what made Scream so unique. Everything from its iconic opening, the cast, its amazing script, and its awesome self-aware take on the horror genre itself. I'm really excited about today's episode, guys, so let's just jump right into it. By the mid-90s, Wes Craven had already established himself as a master of horror. Uh, he had Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, People Under the Stairs, you know, among a couple others, already under his belt. But in 94, Wes Craven directed New Nightmare, and that could be seen as a precursor to the Scream franchise uh, due to the film's self-aware meta-nature. Uh, it basically involved Freddy Krueger coming to real life, in a world where the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies existed, so he came to kill the actual actors that played in the movie. So you can kind of see, you know, a little bit of uh, comparison between the two franchises as far as, you know, movies that understood that there was movies itself and the, the referencing themselves. It was a pretty interesting take, and it was definitely ahead of its time. Uh, sometime in the following year, a young Kevin Williamson wrote the screenplay for what we now know as Scream, and it ended up in a bidding war, and it eventually sold to Miramax for 400000 uh, Craven eventually took on the directing duties in his late 50s uh, when he first was in introduced to Scream, and the rest is history. Scream was unique for uh, many reasons. One of the most notable was its subversive take on the horror genre and the way it blended horror elements with comedy. Uh, the film was filled with witty dialogue, pop culture references, and it gave it a fresh, modern feel that was missing from many horror movies at the time. It was uh, it was perfect timing, basically, uh, for audiences that had grown tired of the formulaic horror genre, uh, and that helped with having a script that was close to flawless. Scream flipped the tropes uh, and cliches on their head, and in doing so, they created a new kind of slasher, which was called the postmodern horror. Characters were self-aware, they were familiar with the horror movie rules, and they frequently referenced them throughout the film, which uh, allowed the movie to be both scary and humorous at the same time, maintaining a perfect balance. Uh, the main example that I can think of in the movie was when Randy explains the rules to survive a horror movie within the movie itself. And the rules are as follows. Number one, you can never have sex. Sex equals death. Number two, never drink or do drugs. And number three, never, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you will not be back. And that was as close to breaking the fourth wall as you can get while still maintaining a relatively serious tone in the movie. All that being said, can't discuss Scream without talking about its opening scene. Uh, and that was a doozy. It set the bar for openers, and some would call it one of the most famous scenes of all time. Uh, it featured a fresh-faced Drew Barrymore. Uh, she was 21 at this particular moment in her life. Now, initially, it was rumored that she was uh, brought on to be the main character, Sidney Prescott, but uh, as the rumor uh, rumors uh, persisted, that it was also 
her idea that she wanted to relinquish the role of Sydney to play Casey instead. You know, her reading the script, she understand what the movie was trying to go for. So it was her intention to subvert the cliche that big name actresses don't die in the horror genre. In this scene, we do see Drew's character being taunted and terrorized over the phone by the killer, who she thinks is just a harmless prankster. That is the first time we're also introduced to the voice of Ghostface. Uh, his uh, name who played the voice is Roger L. Jackson. He did play uh, the character of Ghostface as far as the voice in each of the sequels and the original, of course. And he also voiced uh, Ghostface or the, the killer in the final season of that television show on MTV, which we're not going to discuss. Um, and this scene was a, a master class in suspense. Uh, it is also an example of how the movie is aware of the audience's expectations for a horror movie and also sets up the self-referential self tone that permeates the rest of the film. And it's also where we get the line, Do you like scary movies? Uh, you know, the first 10 minutes of this movie just draw you in and the last 90 just refuse to let you look away. And, you know, ultimately, I just look at this movie as just fantastic from top to bottom. But, you know, the remainder of this movie wouldn't be what it is without the phenomenal job done by the casting department and, of course, the cast. Every character is played perfectly. Uh, the, the script placed a new spin on how teenagers are treated in these types of films. They're fully fleshed out. Their relationship with one another feels authentic. You know, and in turn, it makes us, the audiences, actually care about the characters and their fate. Uh, so, who are the main characters? Well, if you haven't seen it, which I'm sure you have, but, you know, this is a movie discussing all aspects of it. I mean, this is a podcast discussing all aspects of it. Uh, you know, we start at the top. Nev Campbell played Sydney Prescott. She was the main protagonist. Uh, she's the main target of the killer. Uh, you know, she, as we discover throughout the movie, has uh, a dark history. Uh, she's you know trying to overcome a tragedy in her life, being her, being that her mother was uh, raped and murdered. You know, she's struggling to come to terms with her past. Then we have the fantastic Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers. She's playing an ambitious news reporter who is covering the story of the murders in Woodsboro, the town that the the movies. Uh, set in. Uh, she's determined to get the inside scoop at all costs and she's going to stop at nothing. She also wrote a book uh, regarding the details of the case of Sydney's mother being murdered and she also cast doubt and suspicions as to whether the right person was convicted for the crime who's uh, later introduced in one of the sequels um, which also creates a tension between Gail and Sydney, uh, which plays fantastic throughout the movie. Uh, we also have the great David Arquette as Dewey Riley. He's a deputy sheriff who's tasked with protecting the citizens of Woodboro from the killer. Uh, he's got a crush on Gail. He also often provides comedic relief. Uh, and he's overall, you know, just, he plays a great character. And throughout the series, he also just shows himself to be very courageous, but just has terrible luck. <laughs> um... Rose McGowan, uh, so beautiful. She plays Tatum Riley. She's Sydney's best friend. Uh, she's also the sister of Deputy Dewey. Uh, she's outgoing, rebellious. She's fiercely loyal. And showed herself to be, you know, attempted to be a strong protector of Sydney. And, you know, just a great character. Well written. And then, finally, we do have Skeet Ulrich 
as Billy Loomis. She's Sydney, he's Sydney's boyfriend. Uh, he's initially one of the primary suspects in the murders. You know, he's mysterious, brooding, but he also has this uh, this charming, charismatic personality where you want to believe that he's not actually the killer. And then, of course, you have his best friend or one of his best friends, Stu Mocker, who's played by Matthew Lillard, who I think is probably one of the unsung heroes of this movie. He just provides a, a great comedic relief. He's also another suspect in the murders. He's loud. He's obnoxious. Yeah, he 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 just says some things that are makes other people uncomfortable. You know, just being really comfortable with himself and talking about some of the the gruesomeness of the murders. And you know, he just he from what I hear, his character wasn't really well written. So a lot of the things that he does in the movie are ad libbed, and which is one of the main reasons why. Uh, Wes Craven loved him so much and why he wanted to give him, you know, even bigger part to play. Um, one of the best parts about this movie, though, you know, other than the cast, is, you know, throughout the film, they blatantly imply that Billy and Stu are the killer, but they still manage to cast doubt that they're the killer. Like, it, it's just played so perfectly. You know, like, it's just... I guess you just got to rewatch it and understand what I'm saying. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of you are recalling what, exactly what I mean. But, you know, they just tell you from the beginning, like, yeah, these this, this is the killer right here. But a smart script also makes you keep guessing to the very end. And you know what? That final scene where they finally reveal themselves and, you know, they're hurting each other. And it's just the, the motives are finally revealed or... Semi-motive because it's it's still a little bit of a doubt as to whether that's actually the reason why they did it. You know, it's just so great. Uh, beginning to end, it's just no scene is wasted with these characters, and, you know, and that's once again all due to a tight, well-written, perfect script. Thank you, Kevin Williamson. You know, there's not really much else I can analyze. I can know I could probably go scene by scene and do this by this, but you know I know that this is an older movie, and I know that many of you have already seen it. And if you haven't, hopefully this just serves as a precursor to go out and see it and catch up on the sequels and go catch the new one. I just think this is a fantastic, you know, just series altogether, and I just hope that it just remains fresh. You know, we got these new directors, and they're doing a looks like a fantastic job. Scream 5, to me, was, was great, and just hopefully just continues in that direction, and they just give it a fresh new feeling. Uh, but, you know, I didn't want to end there. There were some couple other things that I wanted to discuss. Uh, you know, this is a movie podcast, and you know, I love the, the cinematics of things, so I wanted to actually discuss just a couple of my favorite shots in the movie. I do have a couple, uh, five exactly. In the opener, uh, what I do love, and I just kept rewinding to see... Uh, we, as Casey's being tormented by the killer, the voice on the phone, and she's frantic in the house, there's a point or part where her back is to, I guess, the patio doors, and you can see the the outline or just a, a silhouette of her boyfriend Steve in the background. This is before he's actually revealed to be tied up in, in her backyard, and I just thought that that was just fantastically uh, framed by... Craven and the cinematographer, uh, I just thought that was so awesome. It was something I just I kept seeing and looking at and, and wanted to just analyze. Uh, number two, there's the bathroom scene where initially Sydney overhears uh, a couple of her schoolmates 
and they're kind of talking down about her mother and whether they they believe the story, so on and so forth. And then finally Sydney's alone, but then she grows suspicious that she's not really alone. And then she looks under the um, the bathroom stalls, and then we see a set of feet gradually fall to the floor, and then the killer's robe falls to the floor, and then boom, he pops out. And I just thought that was so fantastically done. Uh, number three, also in the school... We have uh, the great Henry Winkler playing uh, the principal, and at one point I think he opens his office door, and then you, you look out into the office and you see a janitor, and his janitor is wearing what's obviously a Freddy Krueger sw sweater, and you can overhear that his name was Fred. I just thought that was a cool shot. Uh, number four, we have the scene where they discuss the obligatory tit shot. And it's a, it's a kind of a side-by-side -side with a, a in-movie movie and then also the scene with Sydney and Billy in the bedroom. And she's finally, got, I guess she's going to lose her virginity and she's removing her clothing. In the movie, the tit shot is denied and then also in the actual movie, in the movie Scream, when Sydney's revealing her, uh, her breast or taking off her shirt, uh, Billy simultaneously moves his body in the scene and then her tits are uh, are uh, not revealed and I just thought that was just really uh, fun um, and then finally it's obviously this wasn't anything huge but I just love the scene where Gail has run she runs into the van uh, she realizes that her partner's dead the cameraman and I just love the windshield covered in blood and then she puts the windshield wipers on and then the cameraman's body just falls onto uh, the front I just thought that was so fantastic, and it's just, you know, all those elements combined with many others, of course, just really just go to show how amazing Wes Craven is and how he really does know what he's doing. And then finally, uh, I wanted to give you a couple of little pieces of trivia about the movie. Uh, I know that, you know, this movie was, was made in the mid-90s, so obviously it had some time to really get some facts about this particular um, movie come out. So, this title, this segment is titled, Did You Know That the Ghostface Killer Was Inspired by a Real-Life Serial Killer Named Danny Rowling from Florida? He murdered five students in 1990. Did you know that the role of Sidney Prescott, who was played by Nev Campbell, was originally offered to a number of actresses before it was given to her. You got Brittany Murphy, Molly Ringwald, who turned it down, and uh, of course, Reese Witherspoon. I just can't imagine how the movie would have played out if any of those other actresses. I just look at Nev as the ultimate final girl. Did you know that the scene where Tatum Riley is killed by the garage door, it was actually originally intended to be more gruesome? Uh, the filmmakers, of course, were... As usual with these type of things, they had to tone it down in order to avoid an NC-17 rating, which I'm really interested to see how that would have played out, although that scene was perfect in my eyes. Did you know that none of the cast met Roger L. Jackson, the actor who played the voice who I mentioned earlier, before shooting commenced? Uh, whenever they were talking on the phone, it actually is them talking to them, but Craven thought that it would be uh, more genuine if he just didn't have the cast meet them and just had like the raw scene being played out over the phone and being shot on film. And finally, 
Did you know that the original title to this movie was Scary Movie? And then that was pretty much the inspiration for the parody, Scary Movie, and all those sequels. Uh, if not, now you do. Anyway, uh, this was fun. This was different for me. Um, you guys know from my first episode on that I'm new to podcasting, so I'm just trying every day to get better. And I'm just trying new things. So, I just I want to keep going. And, of course, I'd love to hear your feedback. I do have... Uh, email, I think it is the sentiment abyss at gmail.com. If not, I will edit this a little bit later if I got that incorrectly. And from this point forward, that email is going to exist basically as a way for you to contact me or even the guys on the regular pod until they create their own email just to give feedback. I'd love to hear back from you. I'd love to hear if, you, if you're a listener, that means you're a fan and I appreciate you. And you know, I want to hear. I want to hear how I can do better or if you have any suggestions for things to talk about or just suggestions, period, constructive criticism. As long as you're not a troll, my ears are open. You know, to wrap this up, I just want to say over the years, Scream has proven itself as a unique, uh, influential film. It's changed the way audiences view horror movies uh, by subverting and referencing the conventions of the genre. The film creates a self-aware and funny tone that still manages to be genuinely scary. Uh, the way that Scream depicts teenagers as fully realized characters with their own motivations and personalities also makes it stand out from the other horror movies at the time. Wes Craven's vision and directorial choices made Scream a landmark film that has endured as a classic of the horror genre. And I'm looking forward to those future installments because I believe that they're in the right hands and uh, we'll see where they decide to take these characters. I know that uh, Sydney's not going to be in the new newest one, at least that's what uh, they're... Uh, saying to the public uh, apparently there was a dispute over uh, pay and unfortunately she said that she's not going to sign on which is good for her you know she's standing up for herself and she doesn't want to you know take less than what she's worth and I'm totally with that and I do believe that the directors can also make a good film without her it's unfortunate but you know at the end of the day you got to be able to stand on your own and see if you can create something unique so I I'm absolutely excited uh, for March 10th for the for Scream 6 to come out uh, it's going to be fun just to just to see this series continue something that has brought such joy in my life um, but until then thanks for joining me on another episode of the sentiment uh, please catch uh, my boys jay and link over on tales from the abyss and until then try to stay alive see you guys later